Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Let's get into the word this morning. Pastor B, come on, man, without any further ado. Amen, amen. How you doing today? Man, let's not do that. We done did it like five times already. I know y'all are doing good. Some of y'all are not so good. Others are a little bit better. But good morning. God bless you. I want to reiterate what I hear a lot of people saying. A lot of new faces here this morning. Uh, Welcome. Welcome. Um, I want to just, everybody has like a quick little uh, reminder or a little deal they want to shout out. This morning, I end up having the pleasure to work with uh, some of your kids, uh, with the NUMA kids this morning. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm not nervous right now. In front of those kids, I was nervous. And let me tell you something, they're savages. And it was Debbie. Debbie goes, he's nervous. I was like, oh, man. They were savages, but I want to say it was awesome. I know that they're in need of a lot of help, a lot of teachers, uh, even if it's an assistant. Um, if you're maybe just starting off in ministry and you're not sure how to prepare a message or how to teach in front of adults, man, kids are the best ones. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of, you know, I kind of set myself up for failure, but they're the best because, man, they just take what you have. They hear some of it. They don't hear the rest of it, but you just hope they grab the, you know, the main points of it. But I will encourage you to, to go and offer yourself because it's easy to say, let's help, and then nobody go. We expect someone else to go. Well, I wanted to be the one not to pat myself on the back. I never like to lift myself up. I'm heavy. But, you know, I went and I said, I want to submit under your leadership, and I want to work under you, and I did. So I encourage you to do that, please. All right. Let's get into the word. Y'all ready? Because I'm ready. I've been ready. For some reason or not, one reason or another, I haven't been able to do it. It's been a couple of weeks, and, uh, but today's the day. So I hope that you're ready for what God has for you. All right. So, so many times I can remember looking back into my past, reminiscing, focusing on things maybe I've done bad, good, whatever the case may be. Even as a Christian, I did it even more so. But I can never recall the fact that me looking back was a way to help me proceed or push forward. It was something usually that kept me either idle, either idle or not moving forward. Um, I remember when we first came to, it was Primera at the time, now Numa, me and my wife. Uh, at the time, it was just me and her. We didn't have my kids with us yet and my son, William. Um, but I didn't have Brandon and Missy. Um, and it was, we came into this house, and it was very shortly after I, uh, I was saved. Um, but we came in, we, we, we loved it, man. We loved what, we had, what they had to offer, maybe where some of you are right now. And um, we wanted to start working in ministry. And uh, we ended up going on a website, and we saw that um, maybe some things that we've been through might disqualify us. And I was like, man, babe, like, we've both been married. We've, we've been divorced. And now we're remarried, and we want to work. And it's like, it was almost like, it was like, hey, you can't work in ministry. And I was like, well, man, we messed up, so we could just attend. But that wasn't the end of the story, obviously. I remember Pastor Juan and Pastor Annette's words of encouragement. They were the pastors at that time. Man, without those words, without that, just that push 
to say, no, that doesn't discredit you. You know, you, you've repented. You've come along. We're a baby. I was a baby. My wife knew, but I was a baby. Um, and, man, if, if those words wouldn't have been spoken, if those things wouldn't have been spoken into our lives, the, the encouragement, the motivation, where would my family be? Now I have, you know, my son who plays the drums. He does all kinds of things. My wife sings. We, we help. We assist. We're associate pastors. My son and my daughter try to, my son works with the cameras. Just to give all the honor and glory to God, because what if my family could be out in the streets? We could be doing all the wrong things, which we know that's out there. So, man, praise God. But the thing is, when we look back, when we look back after that moment, we look back and see where we were. We focus on what God did in our life, not on who we were, not on the many times we failed. We focus on what he was trying to do in our life and the way he opened and closed doors. And that's the way when we do want to look back, we want to look through those eyes, not in focus on what we did wrong. And I want to say that I believe that's the enemy's most powerful tool that we allow him to use. Let me, I want to repeat that, that we allow him to use. Right. We let him focus on our past. He reminds us of our of our mistakes. He reminds us of our failures. He reminds us of our sins. Why do we allow him to do that? Because so many times we're in our own head about the same things. Right. The enemy wants to show us how unworthy he wants to show us how unclean and how unable to be used we are. And that keeps us pinned down. For whatever reason, I don't care where you are in your walk. I don't care where you are in ministry. If you're not even walking just know he's going to use your past. You got to not let him. But Jesus, that's not what Jesus does. First John 1 9 says, if, and that's the most important part of that verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reality is he does the repair work. All the wrong we do. All the infiltrate that we allow the enemy to get in our mind, he has to sort through it all. There's work for us to do through that process. Don't think it's all him, but he's the one that does the repair work. What he does do, he reminds us that he's forgiven our mistakes, he's forgiven our past, and he's forgiven our sins. But remember, if we confess, if you do not confess, nothing will be forgiven. It's like a formula. You can't take a formula and pick it apart and pick what you want. You got to confess. Amen. It is he who does the fixing. Bless you, brother. Right? He, he fixes us, not for us to be better, to just gloat and boast upon what, who we are now. It's to boast on him and what he's done in our life. Because every day you've done it before him, and I'm sure if, you can, if we can get a real church to be transparent, amen, and say it, that he's still doing it now as we walk because it's not over. It wasn't a one-time deal. It's an everyday life thing. It's not just, oh, once I'm saved, I'm good. No, it's a daily walk, and it requires work just like marriage. Amen? But I want to say, if you feel unqualified, if you feel like you're unable to be used, if you feel like, man, I just, there's nothing God could do with me, I want you to know you're in the perfect position to be used by God. Last week, Pastor Ryan spoke a message on, uh, it was, the title was Stay Weak. And that's the exact same thing. Remember, when you're weak, whenever things are going all wrong, it's real easy to turn to God. When everything's going all right, you're like, man, I got it. I, I'm good, God. I, I know I need you, but I'm good. No, no, no. We have to have the same mentality when we're weak and when we're going to his feet every time for everything, for every provision, for every providing. We have to have that same mentality when we now are strong. 
Amen. And, and I'm not trying to re-preach this message. I just want you to know that that is powerful. It's a good reminder. All right. But as I mentioned, today I have a word for you. The, the, message, the title of my message is, is uh, Don't Look Back. <laughs> All right. Or shout out, man, this shirt. I like lifting up people who don't like to be lifted up. I don't know. Because that, to me, that's like the best. Well, this shirt, it's the, it's the word of God and it's a sword. That was, that was an ad. It was really awesome. It's a sword. If you don't know the Bible, look it up and see why that makes sense. But it says, uh, it's kind of popped out. It says the word, the word of God it says live it, love it, live it. Yeah, you, you got it, my bad. Well, but anyway, I can't remember what it says. Read it, live it, love it. I came up with that and I forgot it. I'm sorry. I wasn't even trying to be funny. No, but that, I, I love it because the reality is read the word of God. You live the word of God. And man, love what you read and love how you're living. Amen. Um, but she made it for me. All the focus got off of her, right? Like, look at this clumsy guy. Um, but she made this shirt. And shout out, man, Maritza. If you're ever in need of a shirt, if you got cool ideas, man, get with her. There's actually other people too. But she's the one that helped me out. So praise God. All right. So let's pray. That was my intro. It was a long intro. I apologize. But let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship, to congregate, to fellowship with our brothers and sisters, my God. That's the one point sometimes we miss. It's not about coming just to worship you. It's fellowshipping with our brothers and worshiping together, my God. So I just pray that you just press upon our hearts your word. uh, Reveal to us what you're trying to speak to us individually. I know the word comes as a whole, but let it be broken down and they they focus on the, the, the things that they need to move forward in their lives, my God. Penetrate hearts, penetrate minds, penetrate mindsets, penetrate habits, my God. Bring forth correction, conviction, and transformation in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So today, uh, when I was on my way, uh, we were heading out of town. Uh, it was me and a few people. They were all asleep. And I was uh, at the will. It's funny because I told them, I said, man, y'all don't know how close it was to Jesus take the will. Y'all were out. I was worshiping and uh, man, I was just, I was crying, probably looked ugly. And, uh, and I just, I just heard the words, don't look back. And I said, man, okay, that's awesome. Anything else, you know, anything else you want to give me? But that was it. And uh, I took that and ran. And immediately when I heard the words, don't look back, I was reminded of Lot's wife. Right. So today I want to focus on on several different people in the Bible. And I want to see, I want to focus on how they faced adversity, what they did whenever times got rough with things, what they did and how their character was when things went bad or the way things tended to shift or move. Because that's what we need to learn, because if, if we're being honest with ourselves, when things when we get upset and we get cut off on the freeway, we may not have the nicest thing to say about somebody. Right. We may not want to give them all five fingers. We may subject and just give them one. Not me. I would never do that. But sometimes our flesh gets the best of us if we're being honest. Amen. So let's see what they did. All right. So uh, we're going to talk about Lot's wife first. I feel like I'm real loud. Am I real loud? Okay. <laughs> Pastor's like, no. It's like, yeah, bring it down. Ah, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into it. So we look at uh, most of us are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. That's not really what, what I want to focus on, but I'm going to give information as, as I progress just so we can kind of tie it all together. But what we're really focused on is Lot's wife. The Bible doesn't give her name. 
The Bible doesn't really give much information about her. It really focuses more on Lot. All right, so we see that the Lord, as I mentioned, is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, verses 20, it says, The outcry of Sodom Gomorrah and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. Through this process, Jesus reveals to the two angels that are with them, he says he doesn't want to tell Abraham about what's about to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. But he does tell him. I want to take this time to tell you that you need to get some people like Abraham in your life. The reason is, as soon as Jesus reveals this to him, or says the Lord reveals this to him, immediately he begins to start working in favor of him. So when someone, you need to have people in your corner that are like him. He hears something bad is about to happen to where you're living, to one of his family members. Something's going to, death is going to come, bad things are going to happen, and he doesn't go tell somebody else. He starts immediately interceding on behalf of Lot and his family, even Sodom and Gomorrah. So those are the kind of people you need to have in your corner, amen? All right. He starts out with 50 people. Abraham says, if for fit, you can't destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. If there's at least 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you, not, will you spare it? The Lord says yes. From 50 to 40 to 30, all the way down to 10. He said, even if there is 10, I don't know. I feel like Jesus was like, like come on, bro. Because like, as I was reading it, I was like, bro, come on. He just kind of kept 50 and 40. He, he brought them all the way down to 10 people. But regardless of that fact, he was consistent. He was persistent to try to save the people that he loved and the people around him. Amen? So what happens is he says, okay, 10 people, we'll say, we won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Two angels go into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. They see Lot. Lot, knowing how wicked Sodom is, he tries to get the two men immediately into his house. Okay? What happens from there, they try, the men of the city try to come and they try to uh, do things to them, to force themselves on them, right? Um, and uh, at that point, it was determined there's no way they're going to save them and they're going to destroy it. So immediately we go from there. So that's where we're going to pick up. Genesis 19, verses 15 through 17. Uh, I read in the NASB 95. Uh, it says, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the man seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of the two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Just to reiterate, verse 17, the instruction was given, do not look back. Do not look behind you is actually what it is. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Very specific orders. And I don't know, when you see an exclamation point, that usually means there's, there's, some, there's some urgency there. There's, there's, there's some kind of push, right? But what did Lot do? He hesitated. Hesitated. They were clearly instructed not to look back. The urgency was one-sided. The angels knew what was coming. Sometimes people know what's coming. Sometimes God sends someone to inform you of what's coming. And sometimes that's the way we are, nonchalant. Oh, you know. Go speak to this person. Really, God, are you talking to me? Can I just verify if that's you real quick before we kind of keep going? No. Go speak to that person directly. But so many times we hesitate. We drag our feet. And that's what he did. Knowing that destruction was coming, he hesitated. 
Genesis 19, 24 through 26, a little bit further down, reads, Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. It's very important. When I always remember that story, I just remember she looked back. But what did they emphasize? Behind him. Not beside him, but behind him. At one point in time, whatever it was, she lagged behind him for one reason or another. All right? The word look back in Hebrew is the word navat. And it means to look with intent. Right? To behold an implication. There was something there that she was looking back for. It wasn't just to look to see the destruction. There was something there that she was turning back to. Maybe it had be, been compassion. Whatever it was. Whatever was there. That's when she turned to a pillar of salt. Instruction was given. She disobeyed. I don't know about you. But if, if I were to ask you an honest question. I said, hey, East End, bro. It, it's about to go down. You know, they're about to blow it up. Um, we got to get out of here. And you tell me to get out and I have to leave loved ones or family or whatever the case may be. I would want to look back. Be like, man, that's everything that I've known. Everything that I grew up with. Everything that I grew from. Everyone that I love. Everywhere we meet. My family. My grandmother. There's so much there. Obviously, it wasn't the story for him. It was just him and his family. But the fact remains the same. They were there. They lived there. That's where where, their belongings were. So there was something there, and she turned. But the fact remains, if God gives you an order or instructs you, you must obey. Amen? One more sip of water. That's all you're going to remember. Word and sip. Word and sip. We see Lot's wife linger behind him. That's important. Because if it's my wife, yeah, I probably got her on my, my shoulder. Or like the Aztecs, Karen, I got you. That wouldn't happen, no, but I, I, would, I would not let her get behind. Hey, stick up, come up. Whatever we got to do, you need to stay right here. Because, man, my daughters, my wife, y'all in front. If someone's going to die, it's going to be me. But whatever the case, for whatever reason, she lingered back. And maybe that's what it was, that compassion for what was behind her that she didn't want to yet really fully leave from. Because remember, it was like that. It's very difficult. But as I said, regardless, you can't look back. This year for me and my family, man, 2022, I said, man, we ended on a high. 2023 is going to be great. Uh, Been real busy with work, uh, which it happens. We know everybody, all the men, some of the women. If you're, you know, whatever you do, you work. Work gets tough. Work gets busy. It pulls me away from the ministry, unfortunately. But when I'm here, I'm here. Amen. And that's something that I struggled a lot with. Pastor Juan was like, hey, when you're here, you're here. And it's funny because when I talked to Pastor Ryan, he's like, when you're here, you're here. So let it be known, man. I know we have to work. We have to provide for our families. Amen. That's our job. It's not, it's not the woman's job. It's the man's job. And, and I'm not to come against anybody who's maybe opposite. Hey, when I first started my relationship, my wife or girlfriend at the time, she worked. I didn't, you know. But we got that. She got me straight. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So. Sugar mama. Pastor Melissa's not here. She would, all right, she would have hit him. But my wife had a major surgery this year. Um, and, and if I could be honest with you, that surgery took the one thing that has been, dare say, prophesied uh, so many times. And we're no longer able to have children. 
We, that's something we wanted for the longest, for me and her to have a child. We have her son, which is my son, and, and I have my son and my daughter. Um, and we wanted one together. Uh, it never came, uh, and it never will, unfortunately. But praise God. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. Praise God. So I got that on my plate. And then I have my wife. She has her first surgery. Through that, she has a complication. So now she's at home watching me online. What's up, baby? I got you. She's watching me online, and uh, she's unable to be with us. But another, another blow. I'm just like, man, ministry, still got work to do. Still got to preach. Like I told you, I talked this morning with the, with, the, with the new kids. It's so much on my shoulders, on my family's shoulders. And it's real easy. You may be like, man, that's a lot, bro. Anybody can say, man, take a step back. Chill out for a second, man. Take some time off. But then I know that's just the enemy whispering in my ear. Hey, go ahead, Brandon, take a time off. Don't worry about it. Step back for a second. Somebody else going to step in. Ministry doesn't need you. And I want to I wanna give this moment to, to, to all the people, teachers and new believers like Junior and Steph and my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, Pastor Ryan, who've come and stepped up in a big way to step in for us teaching and stuff. I thank you guys for it. For a difficult time, y'all could turn away, but, man, y'all, y'all have been a support. The church as well. Praise God that we have a support like you guys. I need to make y'all clap more. All right. So that's, that's, uh, that's Lot's wife. We see she lingers behind. She disobeys the direct order, direct instruction from the angels. And she turns to look back with intent to the land that she comes from or that she was living in. And she turned to a pillar of salt. Right. So the next person we want to look at is going to be uh, it's a woman by the name of Ruth. And I want to tell you, man, you're probably like, man, two women. It, it just it's just the way it happened. It's just the way it happened, but there's powerful, there's a powerful message here, and, and there's some things that I didn't find out until I started studying, and I'm going to share with you guys. So what we have, we have in Ruth, it's very short, it's a very, very short book in the Bible. If you want, or I would encourage you to go home and read it, because it's very powerful, it's very impactful, and it, can, it ministers to both Christian and non-Christian. So I want you to go and look, amen? So we have a man who comes from Bethlehem, uh, Judah. And his name is Elimelech, and he has his wife Naomi, along with their two sons, Malone and Chilion. Chilion. I don't know why I want to say Chilion, but it's Chilion. Uh, they moved from Bethlehem into Moab, and they did this to, uh, they were sojourning. They were coming out of their land because what was going on, there was a lot of corrupt judges going on. They were like, man, this is a lot of bad stuff. Everybody was worried. Their way was the better way, was the higher way, and they weren't worried about God. So they sojourned out of Bethlehem, out of Judah. They go into a place, Moab. And you understand, this is a place that, that it is not their people. They're idolatrous people. They've conflicted with them throughout the Bible, throughout the time when the, the Israelites were in the, in, the, uh, in the wilderness. So a lot of stuff. This is where they went. Amen. Uh, but they had the intent of coming back. But that's where the, to- the story makes a turn. Because unfortunately, Elimelech, he dies while they're in Moab. All right? But through that process, Naomi's uh, two sons married two women. One's named Orpah, and I kept saying Oprah the whole time. I'm telling you, I said Oprah at least 10 times. I told my wife, I'm going to say Oprah. I know I am. Her name is Orpah, and the other one's name is Ruth. And I'll, I'm going to just lay this out. You take it how you want. Married 10 years, both died. I don't know how hard marriage is for those guys, how hard it was, or how hard, you know, I don't know. 
I'm not saying that the wives were the problem, but they were married for 10 years and they died. But it's important. Naomi now, if you know anything of the, the Israelites and how they were, she's a widow. And she doesn't have sons. Bless you. She's no longer, bless you. That's like a mouse over there. And she has no sons. So she's a widow with no sons, nobody to help provide for her. So that's important. And remember, as I said, she sojourned with her family into another, a foreign country. Amen? A neighboring foreign country. All right? So her sons die, and she says, hey, there's nothing left for me here. There's nothing here in Moab. My people are there. And she hears of something, going, something good going on. So I guess everything got right with, there, with her people in Judah. So she says, I'm going to go back. So what does she do? She tells Orpah, she tells uh, Ruth, hey, go back to your people. Go back to your family. Go back to your gods. I, I release you. My sons are no longer here. You have no responsibility to, responsibility to me. One time, both deny. They said, no, we're going with you. She says it again. Go to your people. Go to your gods. How easy is that for someone to give you like a release? Hey, just Alexa, go. That's what you want anyway. Just go. Very easy to turn back to your ways. Right? But remember, 10 years they spent with them. 10 years learning their customs, learning their ways, learning what they believed. So it was impactful. One, on the second time, she turns around. Orpah goes back. But Ruth doesn't. How bold. Because now she goes from where she's in her land. Now she's leaving to go to a foreign land where she's probably not, probably not welcomed at all. Very powerful. One stays. One goes, and I love Ruth's response. Ruth's response. In Ruth 1, 16, 18, she says, uh, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. That means she was pushing her away as she was still following, right? For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me any, uh, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Hey, that's how we got to be when it comes to God, man. When the enemy's like, hey, bro, there's nothing here for you. Turn away. Walk away. Jesus will never say that. That's why I say Satan, right? The devil. But man, no matter what. No matter what, you got to keep pushing on. Even if Jesus is distant from you or you feel he is, you keep going on. Uh, he, hey, I, 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 I'm, I'm, where you go, that's where I'm going to go. Where you stay, that's where I'm going to stay. Where you lead, that's where I'm going to go. All right? Come on. Somebody help me. Ruth could have turned back and went to what she was used to. Very easy. As I said, very easy to go back to what you're used to. But she didn't. She told Naomi, your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Grimace. It's tough. God was doing something. And Naomi wanted to go back to her people. This is where you got to read between the lines. The reality was the testimony of Naomi to go back to her people and to her God and who she was. Her integrity for her God. And that moment was powerful enough for Ruth to say, I do not want to go back to my polytheistic gods and my people. I want your God because your integrity of who you are is so powerful that I want to be more like you and more like your people and less like me and less like my people. Both didn't go. Only one went. 
Come on. So when people say what God is doing in or around us, they see it, they feel it. My question to you is the people around you, are they ready to go to where your God is? Or they're like, bro, that guy's saved. That lady's saved. So who you are is what's going to cause a shift in your circle, shift in your work, shift in your place. Wherever you are, you have to be the, 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 the status. You have to break the status quo. If you compromise, maybe Naomi, nobody goes back with her. Right? Who's coming with you to church? Who's not coming with you to church? And that's not to say that you're wrong. But I'm saying, what I am saying is, let your testimony and who you are and how you serve God be speaking volumes over what you say about your God. Amen? I want to share with you a story. Go ahead. Give it to the Lord. It's for him. It's all for him. With my work, sometimes traveling comes up, actually quite a bit. Uh, This is probably about 10, 12 years ago. And um, I remember I was out of town for a good amount of time. And uh, I was a supervisor, and uh, some of the guys I know, they knew I was saved. A lot of the guys knew I was saved. They're friends of mine from way back. Um, and uh, I was out there. Let's be honest, man. Who, who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm ready to sin? Who gets up and says, I'm ready to be a sinner this day? Or do you progress in your day, and little by little, sometimes you allow your flesh to get the better of you? Same thing happens. I'm out of town. I don't even know what's going on. A friend of mine, his name's Sam, he comes up to me. He says, let me, let me talk to you, B. I said, what's up, bro? He said, I don't recognize you, bro. And as soon as he said it, that's all he had to say. And I felt conviction. But I still gave, I said, well, what you mean? He said, bro, you're, you're carrying on in ways that you shouldn't. This is a non-believer. A non-believer. He knows about God, you know, but he ain't living the way I should, I'm supposed to be living, not just by what I say. And he called me out. He said, you're carrying on with guys, and, and I really don't. And it's not that I was sinning. It's the fact that I was more like them and less like who I should have been like. And he called me out. And I said, man, I appreciate that, bro. And he always calls and checks on me. But imagine if me, being fully honest, can tell you that Sometimes the flesh gets the best of me. It's not, I don't wake up and say, Lord, I'm just going to sin all day today. I repent at the end of the day, and I'm good. You know, it's them little steps, man. It's those little steps back that you're just like, ah, you compromise. And ah, you compromise again. And next thing you know, you're no longer compromising. You feel like, man, I'm so far from where I need to be. Why would I even try to go back? I, I, I'm comfortable right here. But thank God I have friends whether believers or not, that can say, hey, look, and hold me accountable. Say, man, I don't recognize who you are right now, bro. That's powerful. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed, but it made me better. It made me be better, and I had to close my mouth because it was getting me in trouble. All right? So, Ruth, by going back with Naomi, and I'm going to give you a real concise version right here. She goes back with Naomi. She goes to her land, to her people, and... um, what they do is uh, they leave when they start, when they start, uh, what's the word? I'm not going to make When they go back to, for the wheat, they, they uh, I forget what they call it. But they go back for the wheat, and uh, whenever they, the, the reapers go and pick up all the wheat that they have, they come back, the, the widows come back, and they get what's left, right? So she was doing that in the field, and this guy named Boaz gets attention. He sees her. He's like, hey, let's leave her, Ruth. He's like, let's leave, leave her some more out there. So he found favor for whatever reason. 
And it may be because he heard the story of how Naomi, uh, she came back with Naomi and she was a Moabite woman. Whatever it was, he found favor. She found favor in him. So he starts providing. Hey, one thing leads to another. She, he, uh, he marries her. They have children, so on and so forth. Praise God. But the reality is we see a Moabite woman who is a foreign woman. Uh, and she has polytheistic, she's idolatrous, and uh, nothing in the eyes of the Israelite people. But why would she find favor in Boaz's eyes? If that's who she was. And, and it just hits me right now, but the power of a testimony is so powerful that she was a woman that had integrity even when she shouldn't have had integrity. That she was willing to stay with, with Naomi. And that's powerful. Amen? But remember... If you, if you know anything of the Old Testament, how it was, they were not to intermarry with other people. You stay Israelite with Israelite. Again, with Moab. And I tell you, these are not just some people that are neighboring. They were people who fought with them constantly. Amen? Not only that, this is where the bomb hit me. Do you know what Ruth's son's name is? It's a question for yourself. You don't have to answer it. But the lineage of David... The lineage of the Messiah, they all come to that son, Obed, from a mobile woman. Let's go one step even further. Ruth 4, 18, 22, just to give you clarification for what that is. It says, now these are the generation of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon. Uh, and to Nashon was Solomon, and, and to Simon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, Obed, I'm sorry, was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. And we know that's the lineage of the Messiah. One step further, this is what I found out afterwards. Do you know where the Moabite people come from? Lot, whenever Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, two daughters, they go to a cave, they go to a land where they go. The two daughters, they get their father drunk. They lay with them. They're both impregnated. The eldest daughter has a son by the name of Moab, the name of the Moabites, and he's the father of the Moabites. The second daughter, being the young daughter, she has a son by the name of Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites. So now we see that Ruth comes from incest, an incestuous relationship between her father, and that's where the beginning of the Moabites begin. And now we see it come around to fruition where you see a woman by the name of Ruth who has integrity that she shouldn't have, who God used to bring forth the lineage of the Messiah. And it starts with her because of her integrity and who she was and what she was willing to sacrifice to serve the one and only true God. If that doesn't make you jump out of your chair, not that I don't need you to, man, when I learned that, I was like, Wow. Because I just put two people together, and God showed me why I put those two people together. Sometimes you got to listen to what God's trying to tell you to do, even though it don't make sense. Amen? All right. So, we see two people. Lot's wife, who was believed to be a good in the eyes of God, or at least good enough to be saved. And we see Ruth, a woman, a Moabite woman, idolatrous. And we see that... Uh, she marries into Naomi's family, becomes saved, and is able to be used by, uh, and, uh, by God to glorify his name. That's amazing. What if Ruth looked back? What if Ruth said, I'm going back with my people. I don't need to keep going on. I don't know what's over there. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stay right here where it's comfortable. But she wasn't. She was willing to go across. She was willing to go outside of her comfort zone. Just because the road before looks difficult, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be worth it. Here's the reality. Ruth didn't leave knowing that she was going to be used mightily to glorify God's name. I'm going to say that one more time. Ruth did not leave because she knew she would be used for something so powerful. But the reality is sometimes we're not willing to move until we know what God wants us to do. Because you didn't get it the first time or the second time. I got to rephrase it for you to get it. Why do we move whenever something great comes? Is it not enough that Jesus died on the cross for me to do whatever he caused. I don't know. I don't know what you did when you die, or when, when Jesus died on the cross, and you're baptized because you die. It's no longer Brandon. It is now Jesus Christ who lives through me. I know we just say that sometimes, and it sounds good, but the reality is, Brandon's still living for Brandon. So are we just talking? Or are we? Are we living? Are we men and women of integrity? Hmm. Lastly. I want to look at Job. Job was, man, bro, it says, a man who in the eyes of the Lord is blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Job 1.8. Job 1.12, it says, we see the Lord allow Satan to touch everything that was given to Job except for Job himself. So what we see is Job doing his thing, living his life, Praising God, obviously if the Lord gives him, this is the Lord telling Satan about Job. But man, if that's all that I am, and that's all that I'm doing, and it's powerful, why would you let Satan come take my family? Why, not his wife, not his wife, he left her. (laughs) He left her, brother. No, so he left her, right? But he takes his kids He takes his lifestyle, he takes everything from him because he says, look, he only worships you and stays here because you've given him everything. So the Lord says, fine, take everything from him. Just don't touch him. He does it. Takes everything from him. Can can I share with you what he says? Job responded to Job 21, 22. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That's the first time. It happens again. He comes back. The Lord says, what's going on? Same phrase. My my servant, Job, boom, boom, boom. The same things how I mentioned the first time. He says, we only worship you still because he has his health. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you're following, but the devil's going to keep coming and, and, until he can get you. Well, oh, Jesus, I don't know, but Brandon, he still likes to eat. He still likes to do this, or Brandon still likes to be here. He's going to keep coming back. The time will never stop. It's when you change where you are and what you believe and who you believe to be in control that's going to change that situation. Amen? So he comes back. He says, whatever you want to do to his life, just don't take his life. Whatever you want to do. He puts balls on him, makes it bad. And he has a bunch of friends, a bunch of friends around him, doing all the wrong, saying all the wrong things. They're getting it all wrong. Don't have them friends around you. I mean, it's hard. 
Because they look and sound like they're doing it right. But sometimes you just got to look through the line to see that they're not. You got to know truth. You got to know what differs from truth and a lie. Because just because a little bit of truth wrapped around a whole bunch of lies, it doesn't mean that it's true. You got to be able to identify. It's time for you to learn your word. Come on. All right. So as it continues to flow, I want to mention James 1, 2 through 4. Because Job has gone through it. Lost his family, lost everything. He, lo- he, he hasn't lost his health. He's get he's leprosy. He's got all kind of stuff, boils all over his skin. He got people telling him that he sinned, and he's trying to defend his integrity and say, no, I didn't sin. And he's going back and forth with all these people. That's what Job is, a dialogue with the, all his friends saying what he's doing wrong and trying to prove why he's wrong. But James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that testing, not knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let the endurance have its perfect result, so that you may perfect you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want to tell you it's not a sin. To question your situation. It is not a sin to currently, uh, to, to, to question where you currently are in your walk. Those are not sins and how you're being tested. But what happens is when you start questioning God. And that's what got Job. You want to question God. See, questioning what's going on is seeking understanding. When you question his judgment, that's where it got bad for Job. So understand, you may be in a position, and I'm telling you, these are people that are walking with God. You see the battles, you see the trials, you see the things that are coming before them that are causing the difficulties for their walk. I'm here to tell you, and I'll tell you again, don't look back and focus on where you came from. Don't look back and focus on the wrong that you've done. Keep pushing forward. Persevere. Hmm. Job did this in the chapter 42, man, he confesses to God. Because let me tell you something. When you want to question God, this is what, this is what you want to go back and read it, Job 38 through 42. Job, uh, God starts questioning God. He said, where were you when I laid the foundation? Where were you when I put the stars where they belong? Where were you when I told the water to stop here and the land to stop there? Where were you when I was making the, 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 the clothing around a cloud? Where were you? Where does the, where's the storehouse for the hell? He starts questioning. You want to question me? I let you run this world and I let you be in charge and now I question you. Because I got to tell you, you don't know what God knows. The Bible says your ways are above my ways. Your thoughts are above my thoughts. There's no way you can comprehend what anything that God has done, we still to this day can understand fully what happened in the beginning, how it happened, how it came together. It was a boom, and it all went from there. Explain it. But you weren't there because you didn't do it. And we want to question a God who's telling us, go here and go there. God, that's not where I want to go. Oh, so you must know better than I do. So you tell me where it is that I need to send you because you know everything. But here we are, we say we don't know nothing. Anytime we put it in my hands, I fail. Anytime you give me a blessing, I make it worse. But when I seek first the kingdom of God, when I seek you through all things, that's when things begin to happen. How, man, how arrogant for any Christian. How arrogant for any Christian to do something. For me to get up here and preach, I give it all to him. Because if I came up here and did it, I'd mess it up. If I came up here and delivered what I wanted, I'd mess it all up. So you better believe I'm going to give all the glory to him because he has given me the ability to do all things. Come on. 
I'm reminded by Paul, and that's kind of where I was going right there. I'm reminded by Paul when he, when he was, uh, and I could only think that he was speaking or reminding or maybe even reading the scriptures of Job. Because in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. And and you got to understand, man. We say those words so lightly, so lightly. But the reality, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, when in need or when I am sufficient, it is because of Jesus Christ that I can endure all things. We want to say, oh, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengths to me. I'm going to get that job or I'm going to get that new car. I'm going to do this and I'm going to be better. But the reality is we, we say those things and then we, we use our own power. We use our own ability. We use what we think God wants us to use to make something happen. But the reality is God is on the side while we try to do it our own. Know that it is him that allows you to rise up in the morning. Know that it is him that allows you to go to your knees. Know that it is him that is in control of all things. Whether you find yourself like Lot's wife in good standing with God, but so in love with the world, that's around you that you unintentionally compromise which leads to no change to yourself no change to the people around you no change to the circumstance we're going through the same storms blaming the devil and God saying why can't you learn that it is you that hinders you or are we like Ruth sinful person with no heart for change. Maybe you came to this house because of something that was yesterday. Maybe you came to this house because somebody brought you. You're a brother. You're a sister. And you have no care in the world to know who God is. I'm here to tell you, even God can use you. If you want to be like Ruth, if you're willing to stand up and say, I want their God to be my God. I want these people to be my people. God can use you. God can bring glory. Don't don't worry if he's going to bring the next lineage through your name just worry about who he can impact in your life your family your children your loved ones I was next door it's not the next generation that's the next generation's next generation but if we let the world influence them where are they gonna be when they come to the next generation's age but through the power of one's testimony Naomi Without Naomi, there may not be a Ruth. Without you, there may not there may not be your son's name, your daughter's name, your father's name. There may not be that next person. Or maybe you're like Job. You're seasoned. You're going in. You're doing it all. You're doing it all right. An upright believer allowed to be tested by God. We don't like that last part, do we? And I told you my year's been strong. It's been hard. It ain't been easy. 
but ain't no quitting me. I was before Christ, and now that I come to Christ, it's even stronger because it's him that I lean on. But let me tell you, this can be enough to lead you off track. To go through what Job did, that could have easily threw him off track. He could, his wife said, curse your God and die. Discourage you, it could push you to go back to your former ways. If we just focus on Jesus and resist the urge to look back and to just obey, we can watch what God will do. Luke 17 31 through 33, Jesus is talking about the second coming when he comes back. It reads, verse 31, On that day, the one who was on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Verse 32 says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. We should not have a heart that longs for a corrupt and passing world. As I mentioned earlier, I don't know what I would have done. I really don't know. But know if God is casting judgment and you believe him to be righteous and correct and in every way perfect, you have to know there's a good reason why he's doing what he's doing. And you have to have faith and trust in that. We need to look forward to our deliverance, but not back at a world passing away and ripe for judgment. Don't wait for the last days to try to accomplish bringing Jesus to people or bringing people to Jesus. Use that time that God has given you. Use it. Use it well. Don't wait. Let me tell you something. Every time we second guess ourselves, every time that we fall back, Every time that we slide or backslide, fall into temptation, however long it may be, a day, a week, prodigal sons coming back home, years, whatever it may be, that is all time that God could have used to bring the people in your world to him. So it's accountability. If you're backsliding, not being able to be used by God, get right. If you're compromising for the world, your love for the world is causing you not to affect, to, to, to bring forth change because you're compromising, get right. Because guess what? In the reality of it all, if we do everything in our power for the world around us, when judgment comes, I'm not going to worry because I've done everything that I can. I've done everything in my power, Jesus, to bring them to you. They didn't want you. So they're ripe for judgment. If you do what you're supposed to be doing when the time comes, because even when Jesus comes, he said people will want to go back for their worldly possessions, for their loved ones. Don't get caught. Let the love for Jesus, whether in adversity or trials or in good times, draw people to Jesus. And know when Jesus comes back, that you've done everything in your power to obey Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission. Don't look back during the testing. 
Don't, but don't look back during the judgment. Keep your eyes on Jesus and push forward. Let's stand. This word is very close and near to my heart because as a church we have we're trying to get everything the way God wants it to be it's not right not by our power not by our might but we're trying to get everybody right and it's real easy to hide it's real easy to lie it's real easy to blend people speak Christian real good we say the amens we say the, the God bless you's pray before we eat but if we're being honest how much further does your walk with Christ go past that every great revival started with the hunger even this last one it was people who hungered their intent was not to do what happened that was God through their obedience and their hunger to glorify his name any great revival comes from within. It does not come from someone outside. It's not the outwards, oh, we just need it. No, it's a hunger that someone is fighting for. It's a hunger that someone is praying for. It is a hunger that someone is fasting for. But we're so worried about eating, we don't even fast just because. Once a year, corporate fast. What are you doing to change the circumstance in your world? What are you doing to change the circumstance in your city? What are you doing to change the circumstance in your family? What are you doing to change the circumstance with your loved ones? It's easy to do these things for people that you love. What if your enemy walked through that door? What if you're at the front, prayer team, ready to pray for someone? The enemy walks through that door. You say, I can't, that's one thing I can't do, Jesus. That's one thing I cannot do. Embrace your brother. Embrace your sister. Because God's going to use you to draw them in in every way that we can. Amen. I want to do an altar call. I feel led to do an altar call. Because the reality is we should all find ourselves in one position, one of those three people, whether we don't know God, whether we do know God and we're following him, or whether we're just kind of idly standing around. So I want to invite, if you find yourself, if this message has brought conviction to your heart, if this message is bringing something that you just there's something, something, something inside of you is not right. Something needs to be done. And you have that conviction. I want you to come forward. And I want to pray for you. The prayer team can come forward. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here to stand in the gap for you. But here's the thing. It's always one person comes and then another and then another. But the reality is if you need Jesus so bad, remember to stay weak. Remember that heart of staying weak. We want to, we want to just, oh, you know, now that I'm strong, I'm good, bro. I'm good, pastor. I got it. <clears throat> we change our heart. We change our mindsets. But the reality is we all need Jesus. We all need more of him to be better. Because, man, without him, we're just, we're just clanging noise, man. We're just, we're just noise. Not doing nothing. There's no love. So I want to open this altar for you to come up. And if you're willing, we're willing to pray with you.
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to just give the word that you have placed in my heart. I thank you because if I go back to who I was, my God, there's no hope. There's no hope for me. You brought forth change. It was you who changed my heart. It was you who took pride. It was you who took arrogance. It was you who took alcohol, my God. It was you who took every addiction from me. It was not me. I was stuck in addiction. You brought me out, Jesus. And I pray that my brothers and sisters in the crowd, my God, that they could be so bold to choose today to make that dedication to say, yes, Jesus, I need you in every way. Without you, I go to hell. If I deny your gift of salvation, then I go to hell. Your word says, deny me in front of your people, and I will deny you in front of my Father. Lord, I pray that you press on their hearts, press on their spirits to share the gospel, to share who you are. They may not even know how to do it. Holy Spirit, you are the helper, you are the counselor, you can show, you can reveal to them how to do everything, my God. As Christians, it's our responsibility to eat, to grow, to eat the word. So I pray, my God, that you infiltrate their hearts, infiltrate their minds, go to the dark spots that they hide from everyone, my God. Penetrate them, my God, in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, right now as I speak, do your will. Have your way, my God. It is not my words, Father. It is not the words that I've spoken. It is your power. It is you, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.